Listen, I haven't I haven't used my Google Chrome on this computer in three weeks because I was out of town. And That's now I'm trying what it to is. get back. Well, what, what, what is it? Just like it's like starting up a car that hasn't been started in five years? Like, no, it's like it's like reaching out to a friend who you've ignored for months and you think that they're just going to be excited to talk to you again. But actually, they're they, they're a little pissed. They're a little they feel a little neglected. You've got to coax them. And I got a, a wheel that's spinning and it says my connection to this site is not secure, but it's like what? What's going on here? Moi, je t'offrirai des perles de pluie venues de pays où il pleut pas. Je creuserai la terre jusqu'après ma mort pour couvrir ton corps. I got a spinning wheel over here. This is probably all Elon Musk's fault. You heard about this guy? Oh yeah. Crazy! It's crazy that uh, he has so much money and then bought Twitter as a, a vanity project because of you know all the stuff that's going. Jacob, stop making that face. <laughs> Lindsay just texted me and told told me to calm down. She so. can hear everything. Yeah, oh, I mean, she's probably you whenever you house. probably whenever you yell at me about that face is when she's telling you to calm down. Also, we I've got my neighbors upstairs. They're moving furniture all day or something. They're like they're having a party. She's got a bunch of friends over and I think they just came over to like move a bunch of furniture around or something like and laugh and scream. I don't know. So if you hear a little bit of like it's it's because a credenza is being relocated or something. I don't hear I don't it. Uh, speaking of Google, I think that they do they probably do a fairly good job of of filtering out those kinds of noises. I don't hear a thing. Mm, okay, but why would the Google Chrome be working on my phone and not my computer at home? <laughs> I don't know, but look, you don't need Google Chrome right now. You're here with me in Firefox. Well, now that there's this big, like, gaping problem in my life, all I can think about is how I need to fix it. And that goddamn stupid face that you keep making. Jesus. <laughs> I need to stop making that face. Why is Google Chrome not working? Why is Google Chrome not working? <laughs> All right, so we're recording a podcast, which uh, means that we need to discuss a few things here. Do I, uh, before we start, do I have you, do we, are you free for like several hours right now? Several hours. We talked about recording like three or four episodes today. Oh wow! That was our that was our plan. I had set aside my day for that, and then you're like, "I'm not free you're... till 5 p.m." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I mean, yes, I can, I can, I can record for a while, but I mean, it, it just what a goddamn scam. Here's the thing: I told you, I told you when we made these plans that I was not going to be able to record several episodes in a row. That is exhausting, and I won't be able to talk. No, no, uh, no, no, no. You said we couldn't have guests, several guests in I one I thought day. it was, in, no, I don't think we can record 
three episodes back to back to back. It's really hard to do. We talked about it so no, many we times. We no, made this not plan. so many. We didn't. Wow. We made wow. a plan to record. I was under the impression that we were recording one episode tonight. Yeah. 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 How many times? It's like I. It's like I say something and it just goes in one ear and right out the other. You ever get that from other people in your life? Is that, am I the only one who that happens with? I'm just telling you what I heard, which I guess was nothing. I don't know. Maybe I should just uh, um, like, listen, listen. I went to the art museum with the family today, and that's why I couldn't go until five o'clock. That's why I couldn't record until five. I could have done the morning, but uh, you know, you're a few hours but uh, prior to me, and you know that's not my fault. It really okay. isn't. <laughs> I understand, and I, I'm not faulting you for having a, a nice plan with your family at the museum. What I, what really gets my goat is this idea that you didn't understand that we our plan was to make several episodes. I it went in one ear and out the other, or because we I, never talked about it. No, because I know that this happens with you sometimes. So I made sure to say it like four times when we had our phone call. It's like, okay, so we're gonna do multiple episodes. We're gonna knock no. them out on one day. No, you yes. didn't. Oh my no. god. Yes, I it's did. not what happened. <laughs> All right. It's not is it in writing anywhere? Of course it's not. Yeah, it's my it's 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 uh he said she said kind of thing right now. Mm -hmm. I see the I see the Google document where it's um you know here are the episode ideas, but it does not allude to the frequency uh or the times of when we're recording any of these. Look, it was a common misunderstanding, common with you, and yeah. we're just gonna have to move forward. <laughs> well, I'm excited to go back to Michigan and get. I was just, I just took a little walk around the block here in LA. Mm -hmm. We're talking late November. November twentieth is today. Uh, the sun was beating down on me so hard that it was like, it was. It could have been August, for all I cared. It was. It was it was shining in my eyes. It was stopping me from being able to kind of like think and let my mind wander the way I like to on a walk. Mm -hmm. You know, you ever I have a hard time thinking when the sun is in my eyes, and I just kept thinking like I can't wait to be in Michigan, where it's cold and snowy and cloudy, hopefully, and uh, I can walk around and just kind of get lost in my midwestern thoughts for a while. Cool. I mean, yeah, you'll. You'll get that when you come here because let me tell you, it's cold and 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 snowy and it'll be a little slushy when you get here. You know, be nice and gray for you. You know, walk around. I'm gonna get my the tip of my nose all red. Yeah, I mean, you should um you should make a point to maybe like eat some soup or something. Make a soup. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Start with some uh, onions, some garlic, saute some veggies, then add the stock of your choice. Um. And then uh, you know, see where see where it takes you. Throw throw whatever else you got in there. You know, I'm not a big soup guy. I don't make soup very well, often. Well, it's because you, I mean, I if I lived in LA, I would not be into soup. Well, Meg's into soup. She lives in LA. My partner, my girlfriend, mm -hmm. partner. Interesting. My partner. <laughs> At what point do you become the partner? I think it's when all your friends are getting married. You can no longer call the, them your girlfriend anymore. I mean, but it, but if you two had just started dating a few months ago and you know just <clears throat> just went exclusive, you know, I think maybe then you're could be a boyfriend girlfriend kind of thing. Also, like, doesn't I mean, you know, your dad has 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 um, had girlfriends in the since I've known you, right? 
And he's he's like old. Yeah, well, my dad doesn't partner with people. He doesn't. <laughs> his his girlfriends live at least three hundred miles away from him at all times. That's his rule. Wow, what a rule! So there, they, they, there's no practically logistically, they're not partners. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There's no cohabitation going on. Mm -mm, no okay. way. Yeah. You like the honeymoon period? uh well that's just i mean i what the honeymoon period is is kind of like the first what like three years or something of your relationship or when is the honeymoon period i would say first year first year of relationship especially like the first couple months that's like well, you know it was uh was 13 years ago i've almost no recollection of what the honeymoon period was like so uh yeah i'm gonna go ahead and say that it was good <laughs> well you're in a new kind of honeymoon period right now i did i just got period. i did just get married and and we're waiting to go on our honeymoon so are yeah you, I think, are you planning a honeymoon i didn't know that yeah of course of course i think you have to right it's part of the whole ritual i have several friends who just got married this summer who aren't even doing honeymoons they they've specifically said we are absolutely 100 not doing a honeymoon I mean, they didn't put it to me that emphatically, but yeah, they told me. They told me that they're not doing no honeymoon. That. No honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, but but Lindsay and I do want to go on some kind of uh, trip cool. to somewhere far away and and really kind of, uh, you know, do a vac a proper vacation of sorts. <clears throat> that makes sense. The two of you, and I know especially you, you're you're travel bugs. You love you get a lot from traveling. I love traveling, yeah. And you two seem to travel well together. Yeah, we do. Well, I mean, we do everything well together. That's this is the hence the partnership, you know. That you don't need to do everything well together to be in a partnership. Well, what's um what's something that, you know, you and your your partner don't do well together? Uh, what's something we don't do well together? I mean, I don't want to put anything on blast, but I will say that anytime we notice we don't do something well together, we try to work on it. Sure. So that we do do it well. Ultimately, we get better at doing yeah. it together. Okay. But I don't think it's an automatic thing that you do everything well together. Now, if that's true for you, that you're very you're lucky. You're you're in a great you're in a great position. No, it's it's uh, there are definitely some things that you know fall by the wayside and are le less effective. But you know, I try to you know, pick up the slack and she picks up mine. And so maybe in that we uh, uh, fail on some levels, that's actually uh, another success. I think that traveling can actually be one of the most challenging things to do as a couple sometimes, mm -hmm. because it involves a lot of, you know, like uh, unknowns, a lot of problem solving sometimes, a lot of like stress. If things yeah. don't go how you think they're gonna go. Yep. And also a lot of kind of like you're in compressed, you're like in compressed spaces together. Yeah. For a long time. It can be I, I think it can be quite a challenge for a couple. Well, speaking of um <clears throat> traveling, you're about to hit you're about to go to Michigan. You have any other trips planned? Uh stop making that face. Porridge is one of those like old school foods. <laughs> All right, folks. So we're playing it fast and loose on this episode of the Four of Sounds podcast. It's it's whatever comes to mind. It's stream of consciousness. But I will tell you one thing. I I think uh, 
first of all, it's we've we've both been a little bit busy recently. We've both been bogged down with work and travel and and various other responsibilities. And uh, so apologies for not keeping up with the schedule of podcasting and not reaching you sooner with these things. Uh, for those of you who are paying to listen to this stuff, those of you on Patreon, we're incredibly grateful. Uh, it means it means more to us than you'll ever know that you give up money every month to help far off sounds. And so here we are, without much of a plan. Uh, rolling around in the mud of conversation <laughs> um, just to catch up, just to see, just to let you all know what's been on our minds recently. Driving around stoned in the back of a, a, a what was the, what's the make and model of the vehicle that you had in high school? You're talking about my 1998 Plymouth Voyager? Yeah, that's it. Uh, Google that know. one, folks. <laughs> some real classic convos, some, some uh, fantastic jams. Uh, you know, a, a CD booklet with a giant penis uh, that says Fun Zone on it. <laughs> Still in <laughs> the backseat of my stuff car. Like this, right? This I, I, and so, yeah, this is all to say thanks for the, the support. Because um, uh, one day we're going to get back to making uh, Far Off Sounds documentary videos. But it turns out that they are uh, uh, really hard to make with zero dollars. Well, right, let me, well, so so you've been. Um, let's just let's wrap this up with a quick uh, a quick update. So you've been working hard on stuff that you can or can't talk about at this point. I can't probably should not go deep into specifics, but I will say that I have been working with a production company here in Los Angeles, uh, who makes they make they make wonderful kind of art house cinema. They made films that I've really appreciated over the past few years. And I was really happy to get connected with them. And they are producing a feature project with me directing. Uh, that is, I'll just say it's about art of the risk of artificial intelligence and the people who are convinced that the apocalypse is coming. And um, it's been wild. It's been an absolutely insane, wild ride. And uh, yeah, it's it, the the developments in that story are. Let me, I'll just put it this way. On Friday of this past week, one of our main characters who we thought had died in a boating accident the previous month uh, showed up still alive. She had faked her own death and she showed up at the scene of a crime involving a samurai sword. Um, so what? That, that's the story that I'm currently working on right now. What? Yeah, I won't. I can't say too much more about it. <laughs> My God. <laughs> okay, I guess you know you follow interesting people and the they deliver. Uh, wow, yeah. that sounds sounds good. It's I'm been excited. Fucking insane. Um, so okay, but they think the world is is ending as as a result of AI. Is that like a, a, yeah. there's a group of very well funded and somewhat influential people in Silicon Valley who believe that um, AI is go the, the minute AI achieves some kind of super intelligence, the first thing it's going to do is eliminate humanity as a species. And they've convinced a lot of very wealthy people of this idea and they've raised a lot of money and they have started a cluster of think tanks and organizations dedicated to preventing this apocalypse from happening. And it has gotten very weird and very dark over the wow. past 
decade or so and wow we're, we're following that story yeah oh my god that yeah that sounds that sounds incredible um i mean yeah whatever like if if they if they get too good at uh learning how to survive and blah blah, blah then yeah we're we're probably going to be killed right are you where are you in this this i'll, I'll tell you I don't, I, I don't i don't think that a a, a satanic godlike ai is going to be our biggest threat that's where i'm at but i mean i think it, it just like on a on a survival level like i mean maybe the ai as soon as it learns how to like make and fix itself and create new bots and program itself and pass that along yeah you could argue that like oh uh you know the humans are uh, um, standing in the way of us uh, superseding as as the true, you know, caretakers of of the place where we are, or something like this. So, yeah, that's knows? that's the definitely their idea is that they'll be able to essentially bootstrap themselves into supremacy. Yeah, and you know the the, the analogy that gets tossed around a lot in that world is you don't think of this as like something that is as smart like we are dumb people and it is albert einstein mm -hmm. you think of it as we are worms and it is a human being that's the mm -hmm. difference in intelligence that they're talking about okay so far advanced once it bootstraps itself into that place of being able to improve itself essentially mm -hmm. uh so far advanced from us that we aren't even you know it's not even talking to us it's just get it it's just stepping on us so that we don't turn it off essentially right right yeah well damn it's scary stuff but but uh, you know i don't know it's an interesting i think i'm going into it looking at it as a question i don't have a strong opinion about whether or not they're right i'm more interested in like what's happened to these people over the past decade yeah and so this is the only project you're working on at the moment um I am working on, you know, I'm working on a couple other things. I'm working on a script mm -hmm. uh, also about AI, uh, which I'm writing with a friend of mine. And I am, yeah, those are the main things. And I'm trying to drum up freelance work. Um, mm -hmm. It's been tough. And this is, this is something I've been hearing from a lot of friends of mine who also do what I do, which is freelance film directing, editing, writing, that kind of thing. Uh, the past few months, some kind of, tightness has happened in the industry. And, and I think it's kind of like a perhaps a looming recession combined with a, a change in how video content lives on the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the change in the social media and the tech world in terms of like what video is and what, what companies want to do with it and what media companies want to do with it. There's been, there's been a downshift and, and a lot of people are struggling to find work. And, um, yeah, so that's been a <laughs> beyond the big projects, which we're trying yeah. to get more fully funded. Uh, it's just been looking around for freelance work. The micro work is 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 tough. It seems. I mean, because yeah, you used to be able to you know get like two gigs a month where you'd produce like a ninety minute viral video for you know ninety like seconds. Oh yeah, ninety second. Um, for like Vox or, or like uh, AJ Plus or uh, something like this. And you'd scroll through a feed and it'd be like a Jacob Hurwitz Goodman 90 second video that pops up. And it has like that, it took that form of like uh, uh, something recognizable as highly shareable content. And yes, I haven't seen those uh, anymore, which is really yeah. crazy. 
I think that the middle, the middle, the sort of like ecosystem, the environment uh, that I graduated from college into, which is well, I sort of graduated from college right into the birth of web videos. That was like mm -hmm. just starting essentially as an industry at that point. And I think the middle has emptied out very recently where before you could get paid to make like a two to 10 to 15 minute video for various outlets, whether that's BBC or the Washington Post or Wired or the New York Times, which are all places I've worked for. Atlas Obscura is another example. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the, those videos lived on on Facebook. There was like all this incentivizing on the part of big social media companies to to make these videos, these short films, basically, and put them on the internet. And uh, that has emptied out. Mm -hmm. And now I believe that it is all the video video world is all either TikTok or like Netflix and HBO. And there's yeah. no more, the, the middle space is kind of like getting sucked out of that. It's either Man. four second videos <laughs> made on your cell phone or like three part mini series with millions of dollars of budgets. <laughs> My God. And um, so yeah, obviously with this project that I described, I'm trying to yeah. take a step into that upper tier and we are having some really great conversations with a lot of other companies and funders and streamers and stuff like that. And things are moving, but it's, you know, these things take some time. So in the middle, I'm trying to like figure out how do you continue to work as a freelancer in this space? Yeah. Oof. Well, um, if anyone knows how to figure it out, it's you. So, uh, well, uh, what about you? What is, what's, what's been going on? You, you, you're working in a dynamic and, and interesting industry, one that is experiencing a lot of fluctuations and change right now as well. Oh yeah, that's for sure. The, uh, the, the crypto and blockchain technology industry has gone through some, some shakeups lately, but you know, my thesis on it is like, you just got to get the bad actors out. And, you know, every time something like this happens, uh, the industry tends to like rally around together and, and become stronger. Um, and when, when we say this, you're referring to the FTX yeah. blow up from yeah. last, I mean, last I think couple it's, weeks. I think it's like the biggest financial fraud of all time, uh, like numbers wise. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it's, it's freaking crazy. Um, and it's, it's been wild uh, um, seeing the fallout of it and, and kind of, you know how work's been going but what's crazy is i mean the place that uh the place i've been working in the wake of all this is like never been busier i mean we have tons more clients in the pipeline and i don't feel like uh my job or the industry is at risk at all i think that it just reinforces like the need for uh i mean regulation uh to be uh done properly mm -hmm. um and if you know if we can get more bad actors out like this and 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 you know this will this will make people like a bit more um uh cautious you know i i think if you're going to be unloading like a bunch of money into something you don't understand and and you know like the possibility that like someone you trust like could just gamble your money away like that um you know it's going to make people a bit more cautious but also want to learn more about it and and kind of come to more grips with like how the technology actually works before they go into it so Okay, so as 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 folks might have heard or might not have heard on this show, uh, we have kind of a uh, we have kind of an Abbott and Costello. We have kind of a we have kind of a um, who's another famous duo. Uh, we have kind of a uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Are there any other duos? Uh, David and Goliath. We have <laughs> David. <laughs> <laughs> What a uh, yeah. Mork, Mork and Mindy. Yeah, we got kind and of Morton Mork and Mindy. 
we got kind of a Rick and Morty, uh, Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde. We have sort of a Bonnie and Clyde type relationship where, where Nick is the crypto optimist and I'm more of a, a web three pessimist. And you know, there's a, it opens up an interesting space for conversation. Here's what I've been thinking about recently. And this is a serious question. Okay. Um, I struggle mm -hmm. to still, still struggle to, understand on a deep level what it is that the web three technology is get what kind of opportunities it's opening up that weren't there before and i understand the arguments for artists being able to kind of like keep track of a piece of art the piece of digital art they've made and continue to receive money from that as it gets passed from trader to trader that was sort of the original argument of nfts i understand the argument for surpassing big central banks mm -hmm. uh although of course when we talk about regulation it's sort of de it's re-centralizing in a way the need for regulation in, a, in some way is going to re-centralize this industry that 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 brand itself has decentralized however we'll see the kind of basic technology of of decentralizing information and data mm -hmm. seems to me that it has existed for a long time already in spaces like torrenting like mm -hmm. soulseek for instance the way that music is shared across multiple computers across the world and you can kind of tap into that and get it and in order to participate you also have to be sharing your own music there's a kind of exchange going on there yeah but it seems that that basic technology the real innovation is that it's been extremely financialized in the past few years yeah I mean, this so so a lot of it is just building like a native payments layer into the internet, which is why it's referred to as like the next layer of the internet or the next iteration of it, which would be like web two or web two to web three. Um, Whereas before, in this older model, it was more of a communal space. It was it was the money was not a part of it. It was about share and and be shared with for free. yeah, but and it was that was like we could say that as as true of of a lot of different platforms over the years. But uh, the reality is that it was taken over by people looking to monetize your eyeballs and your your time on the screen, and it was all meant to figure out a way to sell you different ads. Uh, but SoulSeek isn't SoulSeek still exists in the but same. SoulSeek, way I mean, but SoulSeek is a different part of of the internet that's not built on HTTP. That's like a P two P. Uh, file sharing service, uh, which is actually like, like okay. So if you were to take a a, a SoulSeek, something like this, uh, which is um, peer to peer file sharing, but actually back up like the entire internet in a, in such a way, uh, you know, like like Wikipedia, like accessing web pages based on P two P technology, uh, you can actually be financially rewarded for helping store the internet and being part of this network. And crypto is actually like the, a use case for crypto would be to actually be able to uh, reward people for storing information that could be accessed. But for so many years, we've been doing it without reward. Yeah, but here's the thing: like, yes, uh, I, we have been doing it for uh, uh, without reward. But like, the the reality of the matter is, a lot of things like this are on centralized servers and databases and can be beholden to people with nefarious political motives or in the case of like Turkey, like uh, some years back, they censored Wikipedia and people weren't able to bring up information that they needed uh, about current events.
something like this. And so what actually happened was they mirrored like some people using like uh, IPFS, which is kind of like a P2P version of the internet, uh, mirrored uh, Wikipedia and offered another route to accessing that information uh, without going through HTTP protocol, which was stored on a centralized server in Turkey. But doesn't so, that just say that that when the need is there, people will kind of step forward and do it without a reward as long as it's as long as they find that it's that it's good for the world? Yeah, sure. People will continue to do that. Um, and I, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, and maybe but you, think, I mean, you think that the reward is actually adds something, the the financial layer to things. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I, I think it could in, encourage a lot more people to do the right thing um, and mm -hmm. to store more data and to archive more things. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas you kind of need a very dedicated and esoteric community to be able to provide that information for people at the moment. Like you need cedars, right? So like if there is a super obscure movie you wanna, that went out of print 70 years ago or something like that, but you want access to it, you're gonna be relying on like four people to like make sure that it is seeded. Where as, as if you have like a, a, a decentralized database that people are just storing bits of information, uh, you know, you can you can tap into this network, right? The interplanetary file system, uh, which is a different version of the internet that's being built right now. And you can go in and access it. So this is a version of the internet which can offer the same thing, uh, downloads of media for instance archived mm -hmm. old films and music yeah it, it has the capacity to store yes. gigabytes and terabytes and petabytes of of data like that yeah and but how but but then what is the financial aspect of it well you could be rewarded for for seeding basically mm -hmm. if you're if you're dedicating some of your computing power uh to storing information then you're getting paid to do it it's not much money but it is something paid by who uh paid by i mean it's it's so if you're gonna so there i mean it's 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 there's a number of different ways you can get paid for it i'll just use like filecoin as the example here and that is part of like the filecoin virtual machine which applications are built on top of and by way of uh sending transactions through the blockchain the network fees are then distributed to people who are staking filecoin uh to help keep the network running and so in a sense like if you're storing information you're staking your assets or your capital into the very thing that is keeping it going and you're getting a little bit more of that asset each time the block goes through so fractions of pennies fractions of uh, uh, you know, small amounts of money just keep would keep accumulating and then being redistributed to the network that is keeping it going. So yes, if you want to benefit from this network, you would put money in. You convert a U United States dollar to a unit of Filecoin, and then you would start there, and you would be able to accumulate. But uh, yeah, like you it's it's just it's just not much money right now because there's not many people doing this so it's it's kind of like a, a very tiny network in its infancy but it is a viable alternative for the future 
Well, it's a conversation we'll have to continue. Maybe we can dedicate uh, some episode down the line to to really hashing it out. I'm always hesitant, like when we have guests on, people who are giving their time, who are involved with Web3 in some way, I don't want to be like pushing yeah, them and then, you know, arguing about like, you know, the demanding answers about these things. So it feels a little safer to do it with just you and me. For sure. But I, I also kind of, I don't know. I like to, I don't want to like grind people or something like that. I don't want to like, what, what's the what's the term? Grill them? Grind but... them. <laughs> I don't want to like grill them about it or anything like that because it's like it's really tough to um, understand the tech, right? So like I know like I drive a car and I drive the car pretty well and I follow all the rules and I know how to put gas in it, but I literally I don't I don't know how to build a car. I don't know how to like fix it when it breaks. Well, yeah, but you're you're working in the yeah. This is the equivalent of you working in the auto industry, and then I could you'd be like explain to me a little bit about the, why cars are a good thing. Right. And I can tell you like why crypto is both good and bad uh, out there in the world. Like to me, I'm just stuck on this SoulSeek thing, which the reason is because I started using it again after years of not using it. I've yeah. started I started downloading uh, obscure music that's not available on on the major any of the streaming platforms yeah. um, using SoulSeek. And it is such a beautiful decentralized internet, this space. And I just had this feeling of when I was using it last of like, oh, this is basically this is what I'm hearing so much from crypto, but it already existed and people, it's all volunteer and in mm -hmm. a way that makes it a little bit more pure and a little bit less open for, for scamming and speculation and all these things that we see in the Web3 space. Mm -hmm. So it feels like the existence of those torrenting systems are some kind of a challenge in some way. Sure. I mean, I mean, you could also say like, well, there's no real mechanism for paying out the artists that made that content mm. in the first place on on SoulSeek. You're technically downloading their music for free, and they're not being rewarded for it. So, true. You know, if we if we want to sustain artists, then maybe there needs to be a payment layer put into mm. it. I think both will continue to exist. You're not going to be able to stop SoulSeek and. I think it's great that it exists because there's a lot of like really like rare out of print stuff that you know you can only find like on on SoulSeek. Yeah. Um and also like yeah, I mean I'm not gonna lie, I've downloaded a fucking ton of music illegally on on SoulSeek, but it also just made me reach out or like like push my my musical boundaries out so far in advance that now I'm finding like super obscure stuff that contemporary artists are making on Bandcamp because I was exposed to more. Uh, extreme sounds by way of SoulSeek back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's. I think it was like a critical part of my uh, what do you call it? Music education journey of sorts. You know, um, and so yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to say. I I do think both systems will will prove to be fruitful and and necessary and uh, almost inevitable going forward. Here's here's my argument for. Uh for why all music should be free um i think that any artist who's not a superstar anybody who's in the kind of long tail of music creation i don't think we should be forcing them to be entrepreneurs and selling product i think they should be getting grants i think i think we should be collectively subsidizing that work not on a per download or per stream basis but i think we should be 
in a position where people who do that and to build up an audience or who just devote their lives to it mm -hmm. uh, shouldn't have to worry about selling things themselves, shouldn't have to worry about whether it's an NFT or a CD or a download on Bandcamp or SoundCloud or whatever. I think it should be, I think there are a lot, I think that there, we should have, basically I'm saying I think we should have a lot more public arts funding. Yeah, I, like I agree. A, a more socialist model Absolutely. For, for how these people, pe people should make a living in the arts. Totally agree. But I just, I, you know, in the immediate term, I don't see many institutions like upping their arts funding. I don't see many like municipal structures, like building out more, allotting more tax dollars to, to artist grants. Um, in the short term, I mean, of course, that's a great long term goal. And I'm going to be, you know, fighting for that my whole life. But in the short term, there are, there are ways where a lot of people who agree with you can come together and pool funds and essentially create their own decentralized bank. Uh, you know, if, if you have a thousand people who all want to uh, create a grant program for emerging Detroit techno artists, you could do this and form uh, an online community that is, is linked up via on-chain uh, uh, identity. You can pool your funds together and you can use that treasury. Let's just say it's like, I don't know, half a million dollars or something. Um, let's just say it's actually, let's just say it's like, what, $100,000, but you can use this as like, it's kind of like a bank, right? And you could take that treasury and lend it and collect interest on it. So in the same way that your bank makes money, you can make money. Like your community that is now automated and organized by codes and smart contract or code and smart contracts. Now you can have a treasury that can reliably collect anywhere between five and 10% annually. And that's the basis for a new grant program. But that's presuming that the fans like me who want to see this happen, have capital to invest in something like that to begin with, which that's often not the yeah. case. But there are pl plenty of people that do have capital that want to see something like this happen. Like, uh, um, right. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm part of a, a, a DAO that does this. I'm part of two DAOs that does that do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's 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 like there are a lot of like interesting like tokenomic structures that can be deployed to make sure that like yeah I mean whatever I put like a thousand dollars into it and now the quote unquote investment is less than that like uh you know I might I maybe even lost like what five hundred dollars or something but the grants the work that came out of the the grant program in that DAO is like was is is fantastic and I also. Uh, have a version of it. Like I'm, I was, I didn't have to buy it. Like it was given to me because I'm a, a grantor. I'm a grant funder. In a way, what you're describing sounds a lot like Patreon as well. It can be, but it's, it's like a opt in, opt out. Like uh, uh, Patreon doesn't take a cut. You know, that's, it's like, there's a lot more um, flexibility. There's a lot more uh, upward potential growth there. But also, like, I'm exposed to new artists this way. So, like, with Patreon, I have to know the artist. I check them out. I decide that I want to be their patron, right? With something where you're in a decentralized uh, autonomous organization that wants to promote, let's just say, Detroit Techno, something like this, I will probably get turned on to new Detroit Techno artists by way of the grant reach, whereas I wouldn't have had any idea to come across them before. 
So it's, yeah, it's like I, I guess make... I, I can see that. It makes a lot of sense. I can see that there are parts of that that sound really optimistic. I still, it doesn't solve the issue of the music should be free for everybody at the end of the day. That like, no. we should, the public should be funding it and the public should have access to it. And that's, that's of not course. a crazy idea. It's something that we do institute to some extent with certain things in our country and other societies do it even more. That'd be great. And I want it to continue. I want it to happen more than anything. I just really don't trust institutions and municipalities at this moment to do that. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think I, I'd like something a bit more immediate. Well, something immediate is what we're all about here at Far Off <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, I mean, it's, it's, I can't help but be optimistic because what else do I have? I mean, I, I just, I like to think of bigger technological solutions to modern problems. And if I can, you know, work alongside projects that have similar optimistic uh, views towards stuff like this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. I mean, you know, there's, there's always two sides to it. There's the most evil, heinous crimes that will be conducted via using blockchain technology and some really interesting, potential, cool new things that will be uh, uh, developed through the technology. And so I don't think it's like, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's like, yes, I can remain skeptical and optimistic here just because of the nature of the technology. I can, I can participate as much as I want. Like, I, I don't know. I don't have like, I'm not like a VC or anything. I'm not like throwing tons of capital into like something that I hope multiplies my money or something like that. Um, I'm actually just kind of figuring out like how the technology works and how it can be used to, you know, sell a pure rave track, right? You know, I will say, I guess, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it comes down to some kind of a, a deep aesthetic difference. I think that, I think I appreciate pessimism a little bit more as a productive force. I think, I think I maybe, I find it to be very important to go through stages of extreme pessimism before you can clear the way for what you really want. Yeah, and, I think that's fine. And uh, I think maybe I'm in that zone a little bit more, especially these days, which I find I find to be dark days in a lot of ways. And uh, it I seems agree. like you're you're holding on to some to find optimism wherever you can. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you know at the end of the day, it's just about where you find yourself on that uh, on that the superstructure of of attitudes about society. Of course, of course. I mean, I've put a lot of work out there into the blockchain ether of sorts. And uh, what's nice about it is there is a history of its provenance now. And so let's say like, let's say I burn out after 11 years and I do like a Van Gogh style, like uh, work my ass off and, and do some really far out stuff and no one really uh, uh, checks it out for years after uh, I'm gone. There will be a record of of my provenance, and I will be able to have uh, my my lineage benefit from it. Of sorts. Are you are you talking about blockchain work or your pure rave stuff? Pure rave stuff on the blockchain. Like the one of the one of the cool features about it is establishing provenance and essentially like automating royalties, so that mm. you know the work itself can be you can you can be rewarded for making this this work years into the future so if it like whatever like someone finds it 30 years later and you know there becomes like a cult following around it you know I, it's still the, the the you know 10 percent of each sale will be laddered back to the account that i have 
for the NFT, but not for the MP3 necessarily, which can be yeah, copied. that can be totally yeah. yeah. But if you're talking about like, let's say like an original copy of like Ode to Quetzalcoatl or something like Dave mm -hmm. Bixby's, you know, private press record or something like the only 500 copies made or something like that's a rare thing that people will pay tons of money for. And uh, Dave saw like zero dollars of that, you know. Right. So he even we, he even gave us a copy of it to help out right. the show. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. But you know, if, if if you can imagine a world where like someone got so obsessed with it that they really wanted to like the real thing, and there was like a record of it, that, I don't know. I'm just just spitballing here. Like, you know, having like a a, a clear chain of of provenance with a royalty structure built in could potentially benefit an artist. Is what is all I'm saying. Yeah, I I see it. I I understand. It's always been one of the more attractive elements of the NFT thing. Obviously, is the idea of of artists continuing to benefit from the uh, lucrative speculative art market that surrounds these <laughs> objects. Um, I guess where I where I still have some deep specul uh, 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 skepticism around it is the idea that these digital objects are going to continue to be collectible in the same way that physical objects are. I feel like maybe worst case scenario is that that bubble popped and that that kind of speculation, that kind of art market for digital objects is just not sustainable, that it had its moment. Mm -hmm. Best case scenario is we completely change as a species and start thinking of digital objects as collectibles. And then there really is, continues to be a sustainable market. But I feel like there's something about physicality that is all that is kind of like very important for the idea of collectibleness okay. over, the, over a long period of time. Sure, but like, how do you make? How do you turn like uh, an experimental video game or an experimental website into a collectible? Like, how do you how do you turn something that doesn't have a physical presence into something that could be collectible? I don't think you do. I think we subsidize the lifestyles of the people making that stuff, but we don't turn them into entrepreneurs who are selling their their objects that they make. But until that happens, there's no path to sustainability financially. Well, there's still no path. I mean, you can make your stuff into an NFT, but most people don't make any money that way. Yeah, I'd say that's true. Most people don't, but it's another way that someone could. That's true. It is another way. Yeah, I mean, sure. Um, I think it's cool as an idea. I guess the, my... my uh, yeah, my skepticism is only in the long-term value of thinking of digital items as collectible. I mm -hmm. I can see a world where we really do continue to value that stuff in that mm -hmm. way. Um, but I can also see a world where we revert back to physical objects as the real collectibles because I we are still physical beings in the world. And yeah. I think there's something very intrinsic to the, the physical things as being collectible. I love a good physical thing. Not gonna. I'm not you kidding gonna me? You kidding me? I fucking I love, love a physical. I'm, thing. I'm really into physical things. I mean, and I'm still gonna make uh, cassette tapes and LPs and you know even like CDs if if people are still into that. Whatever. You know that's never going away. But I think that in a lot of ways it's 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 genu genuinely like a new medium and it's mm -hmm. a new format. Um, and there's a lot more programmability that can come along with it. Like, how can you sell? conceptual art 
And is is conceptual art something that can be should be sold? Like, is uh, any, should any art be owned by a single person, or should art be for everybody, like in museums? Uh, probably both. I'd say. Both. I'm gonna go with both here. Okay. I th I think uh, I think you can do both. I think. I think. Yes, museums can have collections. There is a place for museums. They serve a great purpose. I went to one today. I went to the DIA. I've heard there's an amazing Van Gogh. That's what thing. I saw. That's How why was I brought it? up Van Gogh. But uh, it was fantastic. Here's, a, here's, a, here's my thesis. No single human being should own a Van Gogh. Nobody should be allowed to own a Van Gogh. I think so Van Gogh should only what are you gonna own What are you going to do? I mean, a lot of those, those pieces came from private collections. So what are you going to do? Take it from them? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're going to, when I say allowed, I mean, I think we should have a cultural maxim against that. I think it should be frowned upon. I think that they should be donated or taken by the public. I think that, I think that art, that art, art should be for everyone. Well, what if artists, I make... artists should get to live whether they make a sale or not. What if I make a really nice painting for you and and you love it and you have it on your wall and then someone's like listen buddy we're gonna need that well i think if you become a culturally significant painter mm -hmm. globally recognized as one of the most pivotal and beautiful painters in the world mm -hmm. then uh yeah maybe there should be a what do they call it eminent domain the government will give me three billion bucks mm -hmm. but and then I have to give it to them, and I don't have a choice in it. Yeah, something like that. It's interesting. Eminent domain for uh, for artwork is not something I've ever thought about. It's uh, I'm I'm getting in over my head. I haven't I haven't really thought about these ideas before, and I feel like they they yeah. they're, they're getting pretty silly. Um, I don't necessarily actually literally believe in the government seizing artwork from private individuals, but. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this. I, I guess it's it's uh, rhetoric. It's like when people say there shouldn't be billionaires. Yeah, I'm expressing a very similar perspective. I, I feel yeah, and you know, one of the things that I think is really plaguing the the Web three blockchain crypto industry is that there aren't cap limits on a lot of uh, different projects. Like someone could own ten billion dollars of a currency which would just they'd be like they'd own it all like and they would essentially they would they be could, centralized at that point pretty much and they could they could manipulate the price however they want to um you know once once there's so much like if you had if you had like a a, a protocol or something like this where you know there is no possible way to own more than like twenty five thousand dollars worth of value in that network or that system i think it could be i think it could be pretty cool um, I think a lot of cool things could happen with it, and it would be less manipula man manipulatable, malleable. Let's say that. Um, I just haven't seen it yet. I, I'm really curious to see if it if there is a possible way to do that. Because, like, you know, what is it like? Ninety percent of like the Bitcoin is held by like less than five percent of the people. That it's the same exact problem you're trying to get away with from like generally like wealth in general. Yeah, the people uh, already controlled the vast majority of resources saw that there was an opportunity in that yeah. space and, and swooped in and bought it up. What pro probably within the past three or four years, it seems. Yeah. And like if there's uh if there's if 
if like you're really trying to design a new financial system, then maybe you should put uh, something in place that says like, oh, that your identity here can't uh, own more than blank amount. I don't know. Um, it's a fascinating time that we're living in. I really wonder how we're going to look back on this in 10 or 15 years this time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the news cycle in the last two weeks has been the most insane news cycle I've ever come across. And yeah. it's it's like, you know that like we're going to get something that's even crazier like soon. I mean, there's a, every every like since I don't know, in the last 10 years, the news has just been like so insane and so crazy and so different. Like each each like new cycle that comes along, it's just like the timeline is so fucked and like, OK, this is what is so like I, I'm calling this era the chaos era where we're spiraling into complete chaos. And I'm trying to kind of like pinpoint the moment that like the chaos era really like began. I mean, I, I have my own answer for you. You might already have predicted it, but I believe it was the neoliberal revolution. Uh, yeah, yeah. When, when essentially these ideas of weakening centralized institutions started with, mm -hmm. liber with economic libertarianism. And things started falling apart. Wealth, wealth started spreading. The middle started being gutted out, and we find ourselves sort of at the end period of that. I think this would be like this is like Milton Friedman's like playbook that we're following. Yes, the the nineteen seventies, basically. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, we could call that a starting place of it, the chaos era. But of course, the that that was you know before that you had World War II, which was its own chaos era. As yeah. were the as were the '60s and the Vietnam, you know, the whole Vietnam War and anti-war movement and the civil rights era. Yeah, I don't know. Chaos comes in waves. I would say it's true. We're just in a very chaotic place right now. I'd say we really are. It's uh... largest fraud of all time, <laughs> and Elon Musk's whole Twitter thing. Just like I know, you know Kanye She's and Trump are, have Twitters again today. Like. Yeah, that really, honestly, that I, I'll just take a sidebar here and say, the number of my personal friends who I see occasionally liking Kanye West tweets or Instagram posts, uh, as a Jewish person in America, um, I find it a little disheartening. Yeah, you know, I'm going to say that. I think it sucks that there is a uh, explicitly anti-Semitic celebrity who people still find entertaining and fun. And I don't know, like if you if you like poke around through like the the thread and the comments and finding people chiming in on stuff like this, it's just, just like the the growing anti-Semitic sentimentism or uh, uh, growing anti-Semitic like uh, uh, sentiment in this country seems to be like becoming normalized or something, and it's really fucking weird. Awful. Try, there's someone who's done some really good research on this. Uh, I believe it might be. Erica Chenoweth at Harvard, who's a, mm -hmm. who's a, a sociologist, or a historian, who's done research on essentially the extremely close correlation between economic uncertainty and economic divisiveness and anti-Semitism, the rise in anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. and how this has been going on for centuries, essentially, these two waves that kind of echo each other. Mm -hmm. um, and like you're saying, I think in times of extreme chaos, uh, scapegoating is common. 
Yeah. And there's just such deep roots of using Jews as scapegoats that it it's just very easily fallen back onto in times yeah. like this. So fucked up. Last night, Meg and I went to an ex, um, experimental music performance at a gallery in, in Chinatown in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And it was a uh, an oscilloscope artist. Have you ever seen this before? Like the uh, cathode ray kind of? Like they use like the, an old television and, and it d- live displays the, the waves? Basically, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Like a, it's a little dark screen with a green, essentially yeah. a green light that, that moves with the sound waves, yeah. Um, but some people, this guy, and I'm guessing maybe another, a very tiny community of artists as well, uh, have figured out a way to master this and to play it live in ways that I've never even imagined before. Hmm. Of like just a, it was like a forty-five minute noise set, basically electronic noise set, but hooked up to several oscilloscopes throughout the space, and they turned off all the lights. It was pitch black, mm-hmm. and they had the chairs lined up so that there was a cluster of chairs around each one. So no matter where you were sitting, you were like looking right into one of these things, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it just was, I don't know. It made me think about far off sounds a little bit because mm-hmm. I think that one of the one of the things that this has always been for me at least is the marriage of music to visuals, to cinema, to, to a kind of poetic visual language. Mm-hmm. And there was something so pure and raw about this version of that where you're literally watching music for 45 minutes. You're watching sound. Were they doing like pictorial rep? Was it patterns? Was it what was what was on the screen? It was it was abstract, but yeah. it was it was clearly extremely intentional. Like he knew what he was doing, so that the patterns would you'd go through these phases where the patterns would look one way for a while, and then they yeah. would climax into a certain other kind of type of shape, and then it would like become another, and then it would become lines for a little while, and then just like vertical lines and horizontal lines, and that would turn into a cloud, and then mm-hmm. that cloud would kind of morph into into whatever i mean it was it's very difficult to describe i actually think we should try to get him on the podcast and ask him some questions because i do have some questions about it let's do it sounds great uh yeah it was sort of like you're like watching basically what i kept thinking was this is what we're looking at is how this machine hears music Mm -hmm. we're looking at this we're looking at a live feed of this computer's or whatever i don't know if you'd call it a computer because i believe it's an analog technology yeah yeah but you're looking at this machine's experience of sound yeah there's something very very amazing about it yeah. i don't know it was touching uh i really enjoyed it that's great great to hear where so, was the where was the where was the show um it was at a tiny gallery in chinatown whose name i'm forgetting it's cool i haven't been to a good show in so long I really want to go to a show. When is the last time you went to a show? Man. Um, I'm like drawing a blank here. It's been a long time, huh? Well, you didn't really you just has. come from Czech, like Prague, the Czech Republic? Yeah, you see, yeah. You didn't see any shows there? No, I I, I did like a six-hour installation like mm. sort of thing. It was in this castle like north of north of Prague. Um and I was just like, that. no, I was just kind of like remixing these like Dvorak records, which was cool. That's doing so a, cool. Doing a pure rave set next to the birth birthplace of of Antonin Dvorak. 
so cool. So amazing. Yeah, that was really fantastic. But uh, I didn't see any any shows while I was out there. Um, so you were maybe... remixing live? Were you doing it for six hours, or you just set it up to go by itself for six hours? Both, and then I was showing people how to do it. Okay. I can't okay, remember. Well, I can't remember the last show I've been to. It's I'll ridiculous. jog your memory. I can tell you that I went with you to a show a year ago. I don't know if you'd call it a show, but it, it was. We mentioned on the last episode actually it was that ping pong place in New York where they were playing live jazz all night long. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would you cool. call that a show? I would. I would call that a show. Okay. Was that the last live show you went to? It can't be. Absolutely can't be. I mean, like I've played like a show in the last year. And usually when you play a show, there's like another act. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and you're kind of at a show sort of thing. Well, we were at uh, our friend's wedding recently. There was, a, there was a nice little talent show put on there. Maybe that. Is that considered a show? Is that a show? I mean, you know, show, we, can, we can expand the definition of a show. It's, there were some amazing musicians performing at that show. Let me go through my photos here. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> It's it, you really can't remember anything. Um, doo, doo, doo. Let's see. I don't know. Um, I didn't see any live music when I. Oh, I I saw some live music when I was in Colombia. I saw some like like a traditional like uh, campecha band, I believe it's called. Like they played at this this venue where we did a party, and they were they were good. Um, nice. and then I was, I was, I think I was like, I was like sonically assaulted by some street performers outside that venue. Like it was, mm. it was, a, it was like aggressive. They like, there was like eight of them and they circled me and they were playing like instruments and like just screaming kind of like, uh, like the, the vocalists were like, <laughs> like really loud, like in my face, like it was very aggressive street performing. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Was it, it, it what kind of music was it? It was like um like I don't know, like based off of like some form of like uh uh what would it be like a like a cumbia style or like it was more maybe like campecha, like some kind of like traditional Colombian music. Okay. I see. Yeah. And um, it was uh <laughs> I was like, God damn, like these guys are like Making me feel pretty damn uncomfortable. I'm not gonna lie. You didn't like that one. No, I I would prefer to like watch them perform and not have them like circle me. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I, I the the feeling of being circled in a in a foreign place is not an enjoyable experience. Street buskers can be often uh, an assaulting experience. Mm -hmm. I was in Maine with my family this summer and we were at an outdoor restaurant and there was this, it was like a Wednesday night or something. Mm -hmm. And there was this dude across the street with a little amplifier and an electric guitar, just shredding like heavy metal solos for hours <laughs> as we were having dinner. And uh, <laughs> it was like, nobody wanted that. No, there was not a single person who wanted that happening. But yeah. he didn't care. He was there to do it. He was there to perform. He had a captive audience. Wow. And uh, it was terrible. That doesn't sound like... Yeah, that does sound pretty terrible. Just like loud and shrill and... And nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. There's, some, there's a kind of person who likes that. 
and I'd say it wasn't you that night. It certainly was not me. Yeah. I don't know who it is. Certainly nobody at that restaurant. No. All right. Well, uh, hey, don't make that face at me. The, the viewers, can, the listeners cannot see what you're doing right now. And maybe, thank God, I'll tell you, this face is, is not a good one to see. No, it's bad. It's not good. In fact, I'm going to bring the other guy up and, yeah. You sent two pictures of him. Added all this out. Laisse-moi devenir l'ombre de ton nom, l'ombre de ta main, l'ombre.